Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse for this, the third in a special series of Golf Monthly Top 100 Course Rankings podcasts. My name's Mike Harris, I'm editor of Golf Monthly. Lucky to be joined again by my senior panellists, fellow golf course enthusiasts, uh, Mr. Rob Smith and Mr. Jeremy Elwood. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? Very pleased to be here. Thank you, Michael. Game in good shape at the moment? Uh, not bad, considering the the winter layoff. Incredibly, um, I think went five weeks this winter without hitting, uh, picking up a club. Uh, probably a world record. Um, but I'm very pleased. I played yesterday at my club, Tandridge. Um, got well into the thirties. Tremendous. Quite happy. Very good. Mm. Jezza, how's the? Uh, Me. Yeah. Uh, one outing this year. Oh dear. No real expectations. Um, Thirty-five points with bogeys on the last two holes. And if I hadn't made those two bogeys. I'd have had a trophy in the cabinet already this year. So, But, uh, of course, golf is a game of ifs, is it not? Indeed. Or if nots, more likely. <laughs> if nots. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. So, uh, in our first two Top 100 podcasts, we've looked at why um, golfers uh, anticipate and enjoy looking at rankings so much. And then also, in episode two, we looked at the Golf Monthly Top 100 and how it evolved from... It's early days back in 2004 when it was called the Top 120 indeed. And we had some uh, fairly uh, anomalous positions, I guess, for, for some of the courses that over the, over the period of time have probably balanced themselves out. And I like to think we've got a fairly robust list now. But certainly whenever we produce a new list and the new Top 100 will be published in uh, December 2016. So you've got that to look forward to. Uh, we'll be podcasting all the way up until uh, the new list is uh, is released. But whenever we um, put out a new list, and whenever indeed any top 100 ranking comes out, there's always a couple of, I guess, common topics that, that sort of dominate discussion and prompt a lot of debate. So it's sort of the relative merits of links versus inland golf, and then also uh, old traditional courses versus, versus new ones. Um, Rob, do you want to kick us off? That um, why do links dominate the list? And I don't know exactly how many of our top 100 are links courses, but it would be certainly more than 50 percent, wouldn't it? There is no question. I, I think it's probably between somewhere between two thirds and 75 percent, and we'll be looking to the, uh, that in a more detail later on in the year mm. in, in the magazine and as we prepare the next top 100. I think it's it's fairly understandable why they dominate, and it's simply the roots of the game. Uh, going back to the sort of the golden age of, of golf course architecture and, and people were trying to get away from it. the industrialists and the bankers were trying to get away from um, the cities so they would go out to the, the coast at the weekend and that's where the game kind of formulated places they get out to easily like the Kent coast and the, and the, the Liverpool sort of coast um, many courses were built there um, and that's where a lot of the early effort went and the, our, our pioneering architects if you like um, helped help to, to develop the game as well so I think that historically Historically, um, they are very strong because that's kind of where the game started. Hmm. Do you think as well, Ches, that uh, um, an element of it is, is that's one of, if you like, the not quite unique selling points, mm. but one of the strengths of golf in GB&I that we have such a lot of natural links land. It's a, the envy of uh, golfers in America who, you know, arguably don't really have any or very few genuine links. They might have a lot of courses that are, you know, called links or genes yeah. or whatever, but, but they tend to be manufactured rather than natural. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, we are blessed with more links courses i mean i think malcolm campbell a yep. former editor and Absolutely. expert on links says something like there's only 200 and 
70 true links courses in the world or something like that and the vast majority of those are within these shores mm. um it is where the game started it is of course you know also worth pointing out that the open championship has always been played on the links course so in terms of our greatest golfing export to the world uh when when in in the 70s or whenever people saw golf being played in the UK and Ireland, it was always on a links course on the telly, which mm. is perhaps no surprise that that should have sparked a, a mass flood of visitors from across the Atlantic and Japan and Scandinavia yeah. and other places to come and sample a type of golf that they just really don't have to any great degree elsewhere in the world. But do you think, gents, that uh, inland courses have sort of been... Um, upping their game in recent years. I know we've talked in in, in a previous podcast about uh, a lot of tree clearance. Uh, we talked in particular about Moortown, of course, mm. and uh, I've only played Moortown since all the tree clearance work has gone to try to restore it to its natural heathland roots. You look at some pictures from, I think it's as little as, you know, 10 years ago, and they were, you know, tight. Ev- everything, all the fairways were tree-lined with very mature trees. What's been going on, if you like, in the uh, in the world of inland golf? Well, I think uh, again, going back to the, the the sort of recessionary times, there's been <clears throat> not so much in the way of new golf course development in the last ten years or so. We've got a couple of notable ex- exceptions, like like the the Trump course, but overall, uh, the investment in golf courses has been in upgrading them, making them more interesting, more fun. And I think there's probably more scope to do that inland as well. Firstly, get them back to the way they were, particularly the Heathland courses. Mm. So where um, so many courses, Sunningdale, for example, were basically quite barren and on the Heathland, they had become Parkland courses. Well, stripping them back now is getting back to the roots of the game. But there's also more scope on the inland courses, perhaps for being more um, experimental, not that you do do it at at Sunningdale, but for for trying out different things. Um, The Lynx courses probably struggle to do that because you are on a patch of land close to the, uh, the sea, and they're already very good anyway. So they, their efforts tend to be in conditioning and so on. If you look at the, our open courses, they, of course, have had upgrades in order to keep them mm. up to, to test the very best players in the world. But the vast majority of the Lynx courses are kind of like they were when they were designed, whereas the inland courses have developed and moved on a bit. Yeah, interestingly, mm. Rob, you, you're a member at Tandridge, and there's been a huge program of you know of coursework. I wouldn't necessarily call them course improvements it's a great course and you've made it better so i guess it is an improvement uh but but the motivation there tell us a little bit about that was to return it to um you know it's sort of former glories and the, that original sort of well, design indeed, ethos when, when when colt designed the course back in and uh, it opened for play in october 1924 it was very much a heathland course of a flattish nine holes and, and an undulating nine holes and over the years the trees grew up so that changed the lines a bit too and they also grew in so you didn't have the course that colt had designed of course also since then Technology has changed, so the bunkering became in the wrong place. Um, people were, were clearly um, able to to avoid the bunkers by going over them the, mm. with, the, with the newer technology. So the aim there was to look at Colt's design philosophy. You know, he didn't like a tree. He liked uh, things to be as natural as possible. And to, to try and imagine what, if he were alive today, he would want from that same patch of land. So we spent about five years and a great deal of money trying to do just that and we've now finished that and it's now trying to get we need to get it into the condition that matches that um 
And I think that's what clubs are more and more are doing. They're saying, well, what are we all about? And mm. have we lost where we were? And I think some clubs had lost where they were. Yeah, I, it sounds a bit critical, but if you take Wentworth West, for example, I think it's become a bit of a hybrid of things, really. It's, it's certainly lost any sort of real cult traditions. And it, for me, it just looks a bit designed by committee in places. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's certainly, um, you know, even in the... I probably played my first round at Wentworth um, 10, 12 years ago when I first joined the magazine. Um, it's a very, very different golf course now, isn't it? And it's a sort of built up for, I guess, for tournament play to, you know, be as spectacular as it can be. But change isn't necessarily always, um, you know, for, for, for the best. And I think you'd find a lot of people who would, um, you know, prefer the, the West course at Wentworth to be back in you know, yeah. sort of how it was. I think there's um, the bunkering is now particularly severe, isn't mm. it? The fairway bunkering, far too severe for, for most average club golfers. And there's also that slightly amusing bit, isn't there, where they, they wheel the shrubberies away on one yeah. of the tees and then the, the tee for the PGA goes back onto the east course by that par three yeah, on the absolutely. east course. Yeah. Which is, you know, I suppose ingenious in some ways, but probably a little bit contrived, contrived in other ways. I think it's probably the best word. Yeah. But uh, the difference, sorry, but the difference between links and, and inland in terms of what they're doing is, as I said, I think there's less scope to do too much on the links course mm. because, firstly, the best ones were done so well in the first place, and secondly, you haven't got a, a vast swathes of trees to move around no. or to redesign, so you you are dealing with something that's already been so well defined. It tends to be quite subtle, and then I think when you do see more significant changes, and I'd probably you know drawing a personal experience role Liverpool where very lucky to be a country member that some of the changes Donald Steele put in place for the 2006 Open actually looking back on them the you know the bunkers perhaps got a little bit too big I know they're they've been difficult to maintain so we club has reduced the size of them no fewer of my balls seem to end up in them uh, I think that then comes down to the sort of shaping work they do the collection areas um, but some of the greens as well those new greens sort of can feel a little bit incongruous those you know sort of big breaks the rolling um uh, you know sort of undulations on the green can seem a little bit out of place same again at, at sort of Birkdale as yeah. well with with sort of 17 there with the um, changes Martin Hawtrey put in place that uh they were not universally um accepted I think that um undoubtedly created a you know a spectacular green site you know it's a heavily tiered green now and and you know produces a very um very different test to the green that was there before but mm. jez you i mean know you've sort of um in your rounds at sort of burtdale you've probably mastered that i'm sure you've made eagle or birdie at that hole yeah i never quite can work out the driving line on that yeah. hole to be honest um but you know it, it got its redemption if you like in that it served up the pivotal moment of the yep. the Harrington win, didn't it, when he hit that five wood to mm. four or five feet and hold the putt for Eagle. But if you go back there even now, it, it's not the same as the other greens and uh, it, it doesn't feel quite right somehow on the course overall. No, no disrespect to Mr Hawtrey, but I mean, it's yeah. it, there's something slightly incongruous about it still. Um, great though the course is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one other thing interesting to me is Muirfield. If you look at Muirfield and this... You know, not not necessarily developing a links course because it's already got what it wants. It had some spectacular ground, didn't it? Closer mm. to the Firth, um, that it could easily have built some holes in. It didn't actually build any holes in the other club. They did a deal with the new Renaissance Club next door, who did put some holes on that terrain, 
a Muirfield, all they really wanted to do was extend the ninth tee back so that they could, yeah. you know, still provide the right test for the Open. That uh, 50, 60 yard extension of the ninth on a piece of land well inland was of more importance to the club in the overall scheme of things than putting three holes that would have been slightly incongruous at Muirfield in, out on the little spectacular yeah. dune land. So, you they know, would have been out of keeping. Though, they would have been out of keeping, yes. But, yeah. you know. But I think that moving with the times, or sorry, really. Um, trying to answer today's modern equipment even at Swinley Forest mm. they're building one or two new back tees a club that you just wouldn't think would want to no. move times at all do you think so they, they need to do something like that I personally don't but no. they've taken that decision I would have thought you know it's a lovely place and it, its charm is you step back 100 years it's yeah. interesting because I've only played it once with you in fact Rob mm. and uh, one of the, it's quite it's, I don't know how long it is but it's not a long golf course and its par is in the 60s still isn't it yeah. 69 yeah, or yeah. something just and I, I came away thinking, do you know what, that's the longest 6,200-yard oh, golf yeah. course ever, or whatever the, the figures are. So I don't really, uh, and knowing, you know, how exclusive they are and it's, it's all for the members, I'm not it's really not sure a, Not really sure who yeah. any developments are for, because yeah. I think it plays more than worthily enough at the moment for, for the people that are playing it. But yeah. Absolutely. But it does show that every club, every club, cannot rest on its laurels. They, they mm. all need to be aware of the modern world and not lose themselves in the past. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and sort of going back to the sort of links versus inland, I mean, that links can be a pretty unforgiving place, <laughs> can't they? I think, you know, if you're not on your game, uh, they're not universally popular with, with everyone. I think perhaps, you know, do the golfing purists love a links more than they love inland? But it, it, it's interesting. I think that I certainly feel inland courses are more playable by a wider selection of golfers than than, than links. What do you think, Jess? I I mean I, I agree with you, but I don't think they're as fun. I mean that's I'm yeah. I'm a links links lover through and through, and I've had my share of embarrassing moments on links. I remember on uh, La Hinch, my only game there, in a ridiculously strong wind, chipping up onto the green from the side of the first green, getting it slightly wrong, watching the ball go about eighty yards back down the fairway. And I also remember playing at your club, Hoylake, in a in an event where I had mustered the princely sum of six points after ten holes on a pretty brutal day, rallied well to get sixteen points over the final eight, and finished in the top half of the field. It was that kind of day, and there was no rain; it was just five or five or six club wins, something like that. But uh, you know, part most of the time, ninety five percent of the time, I'm up for that kind of challenge. Mm. There might be five percent where I. I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm actually not enjoying this. What am I doing out here? Well, I'll tell you what, Jess, seeing as we're, we're, we <laughs> came back through your sort of worst links nightmares, perhaps you tell everybody about the round we played at Royal North Devon with uh, in the club silver medal a few years ago. You and I went down to play in that. Yeah. And, and we got, um, we were the last tea time out when we got paired up with a certain young Mr. Jimmy Mullen, who, uh, yeah. you know, sort of golf fans, I'm sure it will, it will be a name that you'll remember over the uh, coming years. Obviously, he had a great Walker Cup. Uh, Jimmy um, destroyed the golf course, didn't he? Well, he didn't destroy it, but he he played very well, a lot better than we did. Jezza, tell everybody about the first yeah. hole. Well, I'm glad you brought this up, Max. <laughs> uh, we'd driven down that yeah. day, had we not, in the car, yeah, we'd, yeah. and I was stiff, and it yeah. was raining hard, and it was yeah. pretty horrible. Um, looking forward to it though, and uh, first tee shot topped into yeah. some little marshy area, yeah. gone. Second tee shot topped, a <laughs> um, little bit further left and slightly further up. I then managed to chop it back out. Um, I, I can't remember what I'm playing at this stage, five or six. 
get it up somewhere. And then you round it off with a three putt, don't you? So, How, what did you sign for? The I first? signed for a ten. So, <laughs> when you play off five and you've made ten on the first hole, you've, played, you've done your handicap in ten minutes. It I, probably took longer than that to play it, to be honest. But it was. It was mildly demoralising, but yeah. we regrouped slightly. But but I think that they're in. Ca- I'm sorry to just you know bring up. Uh, <laughs> I took no delight in watching no. you. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> you weren't there. You weren't there. No, but I'm you've enjoyed the story, it. haven't you? Yep. Um, that sort of does encapsulate that links golf can be pretty brutal experience when you know the weather is against you. Know, it was a windy day, a lot of rain there. I think for a lot of golfers, you know. That's borderline enjoyable. In fact, it may not be enjoyable at all. Mm. Do, well, do, do you think that though, you need to be a better golfer to get the maximum enjoyment out of Lynx golf? I don't think necessarily a better golfer. I think a more it's more your mental state of okay, mind. It's, it's more how you approach yeah. it. If if you're going into a five club wind uh, windy day mm. or howling, lashing rain and what mm. have you, expecting to play to your handicap, then you're going to probably come away very disappointed. If you go in setting yourself a new challenge based on the conditions, and I know at Hoy Lake, you mm. know, some scratch can sometimes be oh, yeah. six or seven above par. You know, yeah. it's not you're not supposed to compare the two directly, but a lot of people do. So you might think, well, I've only got twenty nine points, but in fact, that's, that's really probably good, yeah. you know leading the field yeah. on some days. Um, I think it's all about state of mind, and I know the times when I've struggled most on links is when I've gone in tired and yeah. grumpy and. <laughs> not playing my best golf and then you can get beaten up but 95% of the time I'd rather play on a, a windy links than a sunny parkland course I, I think that's down to I do think that Mike was right I think it's certainly a bit down to ability too I think that a, a teen handicapper and higher will struggle on the links very often mm. um, and it swings and roundabouts because you know if like me you have to aim 30 yards left of the fairway to get it back on the fairway then sometimes the links is a pleasure because you can do that whereas yep. if you go to Woburn you're going to struggle um, so I, but I think it's the visual impact that really appeals to the, the club golfer more of inland courses because the holes are more memorable they're more individual um, links courses and we'll talk about this a bit later perhaps, but as I say, I, I can still picture every hole at the new Trump course because it's quite spectacular. But there are many links courses that I know and love. In, in my heart, I love them, mm. but I can't talk you all the way through them because <laughs> the holes merge a bit into one another yep. in my, my failing memory. So, But there are Parkland courses that I've only played once or twice that I can think back to almost every hole because they are framed in a different way and become more memorable. That's a very interesting point, and I think that... Um you know, golf is, we, we don't, thankfully, we don't um, play it for, um, you know, where, where the scores determine our uh, take-home income at the end of each week. So it is about enjoyment. It's, um, of course, it's about testing yourself. But I think, to my mind, inland courses provide a fairer test for all levels of golfer. Uh, I love links courses, um, but I do, I actually found over the last few years, I probably enjoyed my visits to inland courses that particularly those that are working hard to return to the heathland routes and you have those lovely open vistas so it's not even a case of you get greater views at by the seaside when you're playing a links course i think there's a lot of really lovely in, inland courses where you get great views it's very beautiful it's a tranquil experience you're not being buffeted by winds you're not having to try and pick a, uh, an iron off a you know tight lie or extricate yourself from a you know cavernous sort of pot bunker. I do think that they are say more playable by a wider selection of uh, of golfers. So 
yeah, I'd like to see, um, you know, inland courses making good strides when we next, you know, next publish our, you know, the the top 100. An interesting thing for me, um, just interjecting, is that, you know, I I'm a real lover of hilltop golf, and I there are, I mean I live in Sussex. There are a lot of courses on the Sussex Downs. We don't actually have any hilltop courses in our top 100. And you think that's kind of an anomaly to start with, but then when I think about the courses I've played, I genuinely can't find one that I think is top 100 material. Even though but you I, love playing even them. Even though I love playing them, and I don't really know why that should be, what the what the critical factor is in that. But it, Well, that, that goes back to my scenic beauty, I think. Uh, you know, if you take Kington, for example, mm. uh, just stunning views all around, right at the top of the hill there. Um, it's never going to be a top 100 course because it hasn't got the space, um, and it wouldn't have the demand to, to, to invest in, in, in need to make the investment. But it is just a wonderful place to play golf because of the views. So mm. I, I think that's that, and the, the views will stay long in the majority of golfers' memories. Um, and going back to links again, um, the Americans who see the Open played on, on TV will think they're, they're, they're all very similar, those courses. Mm. They're very flat. They have brutal bunkering, bunkering but that's about the only defence and the wind um, they, they, you can't remember the holes but you see, you see holes, let's just take the Belfry which is a fairly manufactured course you can remember quite a few of those holes just from having seen a, a TV event played there so I, I think that the, that memorability thing is what does influence quite a few club golfers mm, Yeah absolutely and also it's why you know the rankings are um you know, appeal to a broad selection of people, whether you like links or whether you like inland. We are so, keep on saying it, we are so blessed in GB&I that we have both. You know, we have modern Parkland courses. We have uh, the famous old traditional links, you know, like a, a Brancaster where, you, you know, you are sharing. You know, you talk about holes merging into one yeah. quite literally yeah. there. Um, you know, it doesn't have the double greens of St Andrews, but share a lot of sort of fairways. And, you, you know, that's, um, that has appealed to some people. But for others, it sort of, you know, means it just sort of all merges into one. Yeah. Um, so if we say that links versus inland is always one of the hot debates, I think the other one that really dominates it is sort of old versus new. Um, why is our list so jam-packed full of old, traditional, 100, 100-plus-year-old 100 courses? Well, as the oldest person around the table, I think that I was tarred with a brush some time ago of being a traditionalist and liking the older courses more. I think I've changed, actually, maybe as I've learnt more about it, and also because the quality of the newer ones has improved so greatly. But I think the, the obvious reason why the old ones dominate is because they have the history. They've evolved over a long time. They've been worked on. They've been tweaked. I mean, very few. I've, done, I've just written recently about the architects. Very few now you can attribute to one person you know mm. you, you might say well old tom morris started this then colt came along and then braid did a bit and so on so um they have evolved over a long time so the old ones have been tweaked and tweaked and tweaked to the point where they're actually very very good now whereas the new ones uh, are from the pen of one person therefore will be to more specific in in the taste to which they appeal um and perhaps need bedding in mm. yeah absolutely and but but modern courses that you can do some things now that you couldn't have thought about 50, 100, 150 years ago, certainly. Yeah, I mean, for me, this, this if, if anything annoys me about the, the, the reaction to the rank, this is, this is probably the main thing, because I, you know, there is definitely a kind of inverse snobbery out there, and there are people that will just refuse to like anything that was built in the last 30 years because, because it was built in the last 30 years. 
But, you know, everything was new at some stage, wasn't it? You know, Very people true. talk about the Belfry being a potato field, which is pretty harsh when you go and play the golf course. But if you go back to the late, uh, what would that be, the 19th century? 29th? Yeah, at Muirfield. I mean, the pros who first played there said it was nothing but a water meadow. I mean, it's it's not not quite what we, we know it as today. And, and few would think of Muirfield as anything other than a fantastic links course mm. today. Um, for me, you know, there's so many things in life where new is better. Yeah. And we golf, a lot of golfers just don't seem to be able to embrace that concept. Um, you know, I went to Doonbeg for the first time 12 years ago, something like that. Absolutely completely blown away by it. And I've heard other people say it does nothing for me. Mm. And I just can't quite get that. And I thought it would be the same with Trump. And people that I would have regarded as quite traditional said, oh, yeah, I'm going to finally go out and play his place. And I'm thinking, oh, you're going to come back and say you hated it. And yeah. and to a man, they've all come back and absolutely raved about it. And people I would have had as complete traditionalists saying, I think it might even be the best golf course I've ever played, Yeah, which would obviously please Mr. Trump. But, I mean, it, it's I, I find this one quite an interesting one because I don't have that – I don't get tied up in the oldness of something as to whether it's good or not. Do you not find that obviously what you can't you can't invent history straight away? You no. know, history only comes with age. I feel character probably only comes with age, and I do love those old traditional clubhouses. You know, whether it's a, a Royal Porthcawl or uh, a Brancaster Royal West Norfolk, you know, where um, you know you're walking on wooden floorboards at the you know the locker room particularly at Brancaster is like a you know sort of it takes you back to your sort of school days like mm. a you know a sort of you know PE changing room with smelly socks you know li- lying in the corner you've got an old sort of a stylo golf shoe that somebody left there about 20 years ago that's not <laughs> been not been sort of cleared out Rob do you not think that charm has a you know ha- has a lot to do with it it certainly does um and interestingly, um, if, if you t- we talked a little bit about uh, courses upgrading themselves to stay with the times. If you played at Sunningdale now, you could, by and large, feel you were there when when mm. the courses uh, were designed um, all that time ago. Um, so it still has that atmosphere of being there, almost, and as you say, you must see the dust in the clubhouse and all that. Not Sunningdale, because they're mm. very clean. But in, there are plenty of places you go <laughs> to where you actually yeah. enjoy that, uh, that, that, that real history. You go to the, the old clubhouse at Porth Call, for example, yeah. and you are stepping back in time. And it's that charm which really adds to the whole experience of it. Because it also feels like you are stepping outside of your regular, you know, say humdrum life you know the, 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 you, you're getting off the you know the rat race you're you going know. onto a film set of some yeah. sort in a way um and you just can't replicate i think when you when you see new golf courses and new clubhouses that of course they've got the you know whizziest power showers they're going they've got particularly fluffy towels but you just can't recreate that um sense of history that sort of charm that warmth of welcome, everything sort of feels, you know, I always think at you know, modern clubhouses, you know, almost too professional. Well, you can certainly build a course, but you can't build a club. Um, yeah. And it takes takes years for that atmosphere to come. But another key point, I think, on old versus new is that in the 80s, uh, architecture took a massive hit because it was manifestly poor throughout. We had this dictate from the RNA that we needed 800 new yeah. courses and we built some some very, very poor courses, some of which have closed down, some of which have kind of been upgraded, some of which are just ticking over goodness knows how. Um, More recently, 
there have been fewer new developments, but they've been top end and they've been really mm. good. If you look at the, the the top of the rankings now, you've got Trump in there, you've got Castle Stewart, you've got Kings Barnes. These are seriously good golf courses where instant classics. It, it, it's kind of belies a, a thing. It, it, you can build an instant classic. It's, mm. it's, it's spectacular. Do you think you can build an instant classic inland, or can you only do it uh, by the seaside where you've got the nature is is really helping out because you've you know dunes and the, and seaside golf is obviously where the game began so you've immediately got that in favor by then being able to put a modern course in a old setting i think you've not got the point. best of both yeah. worlds i, I think that, that, that you're you stand on better ground and on the coast to do that definitely because inland you've got the scar of what's been done to create it mm. far more if you take a really nice new club like centurion where mm. you've got those holes that run beautifully through the trees they're lovely um and then you get out onto more open land mm. but it's taking a while to bed in and it will do it's a great place but it, you can't do that overnight so i think mm. you're right you can do you can make a, an instant classic more so last trump uh, as, as martin Altry's done up in near Aberdeen that, you know it's a phenomenally good course f- ridiculously tough but you can do that where uh, the materials allow it mm, absolutely interesting I mean you know I, I say I embrace new probably more than a lot of golfers my age it's not to say I don't like the old mm. you know we went down to Porthcawl to celebrate my 50th birthday Indeed. and there is nothing better than sitting in that bar yeah. wood panelling and the trophies yeah. all around having a whiskey looking at the waves crashing in I love that too, but I just embrace the new as well. Yeah, probably a little bit more than than some golfers my age. I think. Well, again, you know, without sound like a, a broken record, <laughs> we are very lucky in GB and I that we have links, we have um, you know wonderful inland courses, we've got that history, but also there are you know there are some great new courses. I know we all uh, played up at Close House, which mm. was a new entry mm. uh, when we last did our rankings. We're all very impressed with that. That's. Yep. Um, that's a new design there, isn't it? It is. What did you like about that, Rob? Well, um, I'd been um, to the property before uh, where the old course was, was decent, but but not, not fantastic. Um, what I liked about it was its expansiveness. You know, it covers a large area and, and just the variety of it. You know, you, you go up the hill, back down mm. and around it. It's just... It's, you you've got a new surprise on every tee, which is what what you can do inland. You can actually create different things. You're not confined quite so much by what nature has given you. It is more artificial to a certain degree, but that gives the architect's imagination greater scope. Yeah, mm. absolutely. What did you like about close? What I liked about it, I mean, it is it's a new entry at top mm. uh, at 100 on our last rankings. I'd gone there, you know, hearing all sorts of different things about it. You know, people in Northumberland saying it's not even in the top 10 in Northumberland and. Uh, others coming up with very contrasting views. I just and I played it when it was very wet underfoot, mm. so I didn't play in its best condition. It's ba- it's on the side of a hill, but you just don't get that. You have to go up a couple of times fairly steeply, mm. but largely it traverses the slope. I think really cleverly. Yeah. And then when you do come back down on thirteen or fourteen, mm-hmm. that's just an incredible hole with all the bunkers down there. Is it dog legs round to the right, and then a little par three after that, which could almost build Augusta yeah. in the trees there. I just thought, yeah, I, I, I like this, and I'll make my own opinion. I'm not going to be swayed by what anyone else says. No, absolutely, it? but it is interesting, isn't it? You can't, you know, unless you're the first person to set foot on that course, you will always have preconceptions mm. about it. And I think, as you say, particularly modern courses that... They can be quite polarised views about it. People can sort of say, "Oh, it's just you know, um, you know, sort of a rich man's sort of you know folly." Um, but no, I was I was really impressed with it as well. I enjoyed those changes in elevation. You know, lovely, fantastic views out Absolutely, over yeah. mm. uh, Northumberland over to sort of Newcastle. 
um, some really interesting bunkering as well. And I thought it was thought it was it, it was playable for all abilities. Mm. Um, it, you know, it wasn't going to particularly if you pick up you know a more forward tee, it wasn't going to wasn't really going to beat you up. So no, it's great. Um, but it's it's kind of new, embracing the old too. If you think about the 18th and that trip back to the clubhouse and the the old is it ha ha wall round yeah, yeah. stuff, then you are. You're not losing what was old about the place, and it's still a very old patch of land up on the, the hills outside Newcastle. It's still a, a, a historic place to be, but enjoying the benefits of new course design and, and build methodology, which allows it to be in such good condition. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there you go. That's the end of uh, issue three of our Top 100 podcast. Do make sure you let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. Say so this series will run all the way through to when we publish the new list uh, in December 2016. Um, all that's left for me is to uh, once again thank Footjoy for their ongoing support of the Top 100, including this podcast series. Make sure you check out the Footjoy website, footjoy.co.uk, and also follow them on their social media channels. Got some, they've got some great content on there. You can also follow myself, Rob, and Jez on uh, social media, and certainly as the season gets going, I'm sure you'll see some... Uh, some of our sort of adventures. So it's at Mike Harris Golf, at Jez Elwood Golf, and at uh, Rob Golf Beer. That's a brilliant one, that. I wish I'd have thought of that. So uh, from the Top 100 podcast team, Jeremy Elwood, Rob Smith, Mike Harris, it's goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye.